0: and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. And so I'd invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Is that me? No, I think that's not me. All right, we're good. So we're in 1 Corinthians 15. And so if you were to go to to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, that's when Paul um, did ministry in Thessalonica. If you turn over to the very next chapter in Acts chapter 18, you'll read about his church planting efforts in Corinth. And if you go back and read the entirety of 1 Corinthians... And this church was crazy, right? I mean, it was like church gone wild. Um, I mean, I, could, I could go into some of the stuff that was happening in the church. They were fighting over who they would follow, Paul, Apollos, Peter. Um, they were, one man slept with his father's wife. Don't know how that works. Um, they were abstaining from sexual relationships with each other as a married, married couples, but then going into the temple, to lay with prostitutes. They were arguing over spiritual gifts. I mean, just, they were crazy. And yet, Paul begins his letter by saying that this is still the church of God in Corinth, sanctified and made holy by Christ. What a beautiful picture. He knows what he's about to write, and he knows the muck and the mire that they're about to get into, and he still calls them holy. He begins his letter with, you are holy. And so we're going to dig into the 15th chapter. I'm going to pray, and then I'll sort of set it in context a little later. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask your blessing again, that you would speak through your servant, that you would um, bless your people, that we might see the hope of Scripture, the hope in Scripture. And it is the resurrection. I pray that you would minister to our hearts for Christ's sake. Amen. So at the end of every calendar year, I'm not sure if you paid attention to, it, but if you watch a movie show, a TV show, or uh, the, uh, the, a show that's going to award the people who are famous actors, then you'll always notice that at the end of the year, you know what? I did not read my passage. And I see y'all looking up there. So let me read this first. And then I, I just had a moment. All right, First Corinthians fifteen. Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received: that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures; that He was buried; that He was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then, it is I or they. So we preached, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. And we are even found out to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he did raise Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised and your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. So let's try that again. At the end of every year, if you watch award shows, and they'll do a year in review. And what they'll do is they'll show you all the famous people who died that year. And you'll see Prince, and you'll see Michael Jackson, and you'll see, what's the Thick's, the Thick, not Robin Thick's, what's his dad's name, Alan Thick? Like, whenever I watch that at the end of the year, it's really, really depressing, right? Because you're seeing all of these people who had a lot of money and who did a lot of good things and who are beautiful and have a lot of accomplishments and you realize that one by one by one by one, they're all dying. There's a quote that I read from a guy named Scott Salls who is a pastor who borrowed this quote from an author by the name of Ann Lamott, and she writes this, in 100 years, All new people. Let that wash over you for a minute. In 100 years, there will be all new people on the earth. Turn on the TV tonight and you watch the NBA conference semifinals and say to yourself that every single person on the basketball court, in the stands, dressing up as the mascot commentating on the game, holding the video cameras, every single person that you see in 100 years, they will not be there. Look at your neighbor to your left, and look at your neighbor to your right, and look at me up front, and look at people in the back. And if RUF is still going in 100 years, all new people. And when you go to your room tonight and you wash your face and brush your teeth, look in the mirror and come to grips with your own mortality. You and I will die. How does that make you feel? Right? So, I mean, we, we, we laugh or we deny it. I was at a, at a restaurant this week sharing the gospel with a waitress and we started to talk about death and she just shut down. Like she was like, hey, I'm bringing you your check, right? <laughs> like she just did not want to go there and you know, I, I told her I was a pastor and wanted to you know, talk with her. Uh, but here's the thing. At your age, your bodies aren't wrinkled, that you can still run around the sand all day, that you're probably in the best shape that you'll ever be in your life Right just hey let's let's keep it real, right? Let's keep it real, right? I, I see the adults back there doing this <laughs> But here's the point: It is precisely your demographic that probably pushes death way out. You don't want to talk about it, you don't want to think about it because you assume that you will. That is that way out there. Still again, in 100 years, all new people. What if the fear and the sadness and the sorrow that we feel, what if Jesus says, I, can swall- I have swallowed that up and hope can be born? And that's what you see this passage is about. It's about hope. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most pitied. And what Paul is saying is we are not the most pitied. We really have hope. And so what I want to do is just sort of look at what was going on in this church. And the first point is the death and this great denial. So if you want to write points, death and the great denial. And you see it in in verse 12. And so here's the thing. Think about 1 Corinthians. There are 16 chapters, and we are in chapter 15, and so I think Paul is sort of saving the best for last. He deals with a lot of stuff kind of in the front of the chapter, of front of the book. And then he gets to the very, very end, and he says, yes, about death and about resurrection. And what was happening? Look at verse 12. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This is dangerous, as Paul would say earlier, because a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. And so in this little church, there is a cross-section of people who were saying there is no such thing as the resurrection. And so Paul says, we have to deal with this. Now, before we attack them and, and sort of point the finger at them saying, hey, how can you say that? Let's not forget what death looks like and what it sounds like and what it feels like. When I started in Jackson State in 2007, in my mind, I kind of thought that I'm gonna do a lot of weddings, I'm gonna see a lot of conversions, and I'm gonna do some uh, baptisms, and by God's grace, we've seen that. But what I was not prepared for was the amount of students that I had to bury. That I'm not sure if Davis got the photo, but he probably didn't, so I'm not gonna press in on it. He did not get it, okay. So I actually put together this collage of seven students in our ministry who are no longer with us. One was a young lady by the name of Shemaina, and she was in a sorority on campus, and she graduated and had been admitted into medical school from Jackson State, had been admitted to UMC, and found out she had cancer. She had just gotten married, she had a little boy, and within one year, she was gone. Another guy by the name of James was about to graduate and was going to be redeployed to Iraq. He was married with a one-year-old son and two months before graduation he went outside and took his own life. Another guy by the name of Michael Allen who led worship right up here with Kevin Twitt took his life last summer. Another guy by the name of Cedric Sorrells Another student of ours from Jackson's, from Atlanta, died in his sleep. My wife and I, after my son was born, we've had four miscarriages. And I know what it's like to go and see the sonogram, and there is no heartbeat. And you do it over and over and over and over again. Death has a sound. And death has a feeling that comes with it. You will not hear that person laugh again. You will not see that child running around in your house. And in, in the darkness of death, it feels strong. It does not look like people get up again and live And so I totally get how they can, in their grief, get to this place and say that there is no such thing as the resurrection from the dead because guess what? My children aren't coming back in this life. Michael's not coming back in this life. James is not coming back in this life. And so when you look at it with these natural eyes, death does appear to be a mighty tyrant. And you feel it. And you hear it. That's the great denial. Their great denial was that there is no such thing as a resurrection. And I get it. What I love about Paul, and this is the second point, that he enters into their denial and he shows them what this really means. And so you'll get this from in verses 13 through 19. Um, You know, so in, in my household, when I was sort of growing up, I can sort of tell when something was like really serious or when something was trivial. And so if I disagree with my mom, I'm like, mom, well, why? Why?" She said, boy, because I said so. That's it, right? But there were other times when the issue was important and she wanted to sort of walk me down this decision process. And that's what's happening in the text. Paul says, okay, if you want to deny the resurrection... Let's walk down that path, and let me show you where this ends. And so he uses this if-then logic. Look at it in verse 13. If there is no resurrection from the dead then not even Christ has been raised. Look at verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And so what Paul is doing, he says, if you subscribe to this logic that there is no such thing as the resurrection from the dead, then let me show you what this means. And it's not pretty. It's a nightmare. He says, if there is no such thing as a resurrection from the dead, then Jesus has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then my preaching, everything I'm doing, it's all in vain. My shipwrecks, my beatings, my tent making in order to not charge you money, it's all in vain. And if Christ, look at verse 15, if Christ has not been raised, then we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified under oath about God that God did raise Christ from the dead. And so Paul is pulling out courtroom language. If Christ has not been raised then we are false witnesses and we have we have testified under oath from God that God has done this and we are calling God a liar look at verse 17 and if Christ has not been raised then your faith is futile it's empty and you are still in your sins Look at verse 18, and if Christ has not been raised, then all who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished forever. Look at verse 19, and if if in Christ we have hope only in this life, then we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then this life is all you get. And if this life is all you get, then it's vanity. And that's the word he uses over and over again. It's futile. It's vanity. And that should take our minds right back to the Old Testament with what Solomon wrote about Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, I tried to find meaning and life through knowledge. But the more I learned, the more I was grieved. He says, I tried to, to find meaning through women and pleasure, and sex, but that did not satisfy. He said, I set my heart to work, and I tried to work and work and work and make enough money, but I discovered that I will work, 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 and die, and then my money will be split up between my kids who will be hellions, right? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then you are one hour closer To just expiring than you were when you, before you came in. Paul says that is that is that is crazy. Here's what Paul is doing. You ever played Jenga? I, I love playing with my kids, man. Like they love it, right? And if you've ever played Jenga, then you know that when you build this tower, and the goal is to pull out one block from here and one block from here. And then you know some blocks you can move. Like some blocks, they just come out. They're they're not important. But then you know that some blocks, there's tension on it. And if you move this block, the whole structure falls down. And so you don't touch that. You avoid that. You find something else. And here is what Paul is saying. You don't want to touch The resurrection of Christ. Because if you say that there is no resurrection, life is meaningless. You will die and your wife will remarry. You will die and your employer will have someone in your job the very next day. It's futile. This is a nightmare, Paul says. You do not want to go down this path. So what does he do? He states the facts of the resurrection, and then he gives evidence. That's the third point. I I love what Paul does here, right? Where they are speculating and spreading what is false. Look at what he says in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Did you catch that? But in fact, right? Now, here's the thing. When you say something is a fact, that it's not an opinion, and it means that, homeboy, you better give me some evidence to back up this fact. And what Paul is doing, Christ was raised from the dead, and it is a fact. Now, I could say today that it rained outside, and that is a fact. And you know how I could prove it? Walk outside right now and everywhere you see is wet. We could, we could walk to the beach and see that the sand is denser now, it's darker now. We could walk to all the swimming pools and know that their water levels are higher now. We can prove, we can physically prove by going to the weather station and looking at the satellite and seeing the storm that moved through here. We can validate what we're claiming when we say it rained today. And that is exactly what Paul does. In verse 20, he says, it's a fact that he was raised. And then, look at what he does with evidence. In verses 3 through 10, he heaps on evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence and this is courtroom language. If you know earlier in 1 Corinthians, when they were suing each other and taking each other to court and letting the people outside of the church handle their disputes, Paul criticized them. He says, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? Can you not handle these disputes in, in this church? And here's what he's doing in this chapter. He says, you want to go to court? Let's go to court. He uses this 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 misrepresenting language, misrepresenting God, false witness, and he uses that word in uh, verse 15 because we testified. He is putting them on the stand and saying, let me give you evidence, your honor, about the resurrection of Christ. And so what I want to do is start at the bottom in verses 8 through 10 and then work up. The first thing he says in verse 8, he says, one piece of evidence, your honor, is the fact that Jesus Christ appeared to me. As one untimely born, he appeared to me, and I worked harder than all the other apostles, and it was not I, but the grace of God at work in me. And you, you know that I came here, and you know you heard about my former life. You know that I persecuted the church, and here you are. You see me about to lay my life down for the church. I saw the resurrected and living Jesus with my own eyes is what Paul is saying. Go up to verse 7. And then this Jesus appeared to James and then to all the other, the other apostles. James, your honor, that is Jesus' half-brother. If anyone would have known Jesus, is his half-brother. You grew up in the house with him. Look at verse 6. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. He says, by the way, your honor, most of them are still alive. And if you want to go ask them, go ask them right now, 500 strong. Now, why would Paul say 500? Because in their day, their justice system wasn't like ours. And so I'll I'll read this section. There was a... There's a book, if you want to go read it, it's called Trying Nera. Nera was a Corinthian woman who found herself in a serious relationship with an Athenian man. And he was forbidden because of her class for having a relationship with her. And so his nemesis took took them to court. And in Athenian law, minor cases would have a jury size of 201 to 401. And in significant higher profile cases, you had to have at least 501 jurors. And so when Paul says, your honor, I have 500 eyewitnesses, you know what he's doing? In their language, when they saw this, they would have known, oh my God, this is like a really, 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 really serious court case. And he has 500 eyewitnesses that I can bring them in one by one by one by one by one. And, and many of them are still alive, your honor. Look at verse 5. And Jesus also appeared to Cephas why is that important because earlier in first corinthians they were splitting over i follow paul and i follow cephas and i follow apollos and paul is saying okay you who follow peter go find peter and me and peter are gonna say the same thing and then look at verses three and four christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Twice right there, Paul says, your honor, I can get you 500 cats right now, how you want it. I can go get you all of the apostles. I can go get you Jesus's brother. I myself am an eyewitness, and I can pull out my Old Testament and show you from the Old Testament that it was prophesied that Jesus Christ would be raised from the dead. So where do I get that, Your Honor? You want me to take you back to Genesis? Genesis chapter 3, when God told Satan, I will send a man born of a woman, and he will crush the seed of the serpent. Do you want to hear about Enoch in Genesis who walked with God, and then he was no more? Do you want to hear about Joseph when he went into Egypt and he stopped them before he died? He says, hey, when the Lord visits you, you promised me to take my bones out of Egypt. I will rise in the promised land. Do you want to go talk to Elijah? who was walking and was taken up to be with God? Do you want to go back and talk about Elisha, that even when he died, a dead man's body was thrown into the tomb, and when the dead man's body touched Elijah's body, he got up and started dancing? Do you want to go to Isaiah 53? Do you want to go to Psalm 16? Where do you want to go? How do you want it, Your Honor? I can take you a 100 places in the Old Testament and show you that Jesus Christ will be in the ground for three days as Jonah was in the belly of the fish. On the third day, he will be raised. I can show you, your honor, when Moses makes the snake in the wilderness that everyone who looks to him will be saved. Your honor, I can take you where God says his holy one will not see corruption. We could be here all night unpacking what the Old Testament is saying and Paul is saying, this is my best witness. This is my highest authority. The word of God himself has promised that his son will not stay in the ground. And your honor, I rest my case. I rest my case. Paul is commanding them to disbelieve even what they see and feel about death disbelieve what you see disbelieve your grief disbelieve the silence disbelieve the fact that you will not see them again you will they will rise because the dead in Christ we do rise that's the evidence he makes a really compelling case and I know some of you in this room are not believers and I love that Paul says this is a fact You will not find Jesus' bones anywhere. This is a fact that he is alive. The last thing Paul does is remind them of the whole gospel. After he has this conversation about being raised from the dead and says that this really did happen, I love that he refuses to talk about the resurrection without circling it back to the gospel. So notice what he says right there. Now, I will remind you, brothers, verse 1 of 15, of the gospel we preach to you, which you received and which you stand. Look at verse 3. For I delivered as to you that which is of first importance So first of all, Paul is not wanting to have the conversation about resurrection outside of having a conversation about the gospel. And so what he is saying is this is a fundamental gospel issue. And he says, I delivered unto you that which was of first importance. And that is a really big claim. I can think of a lot of important things in my life. The day that my wife said that she would marry me, the day that we found out that my daughter was going to be a daughter, the day that we found out that my son was going to be a son, I I can give you a lot of things in my life that have meaning. And what Paul says is, I delivered to you that which was of first importance. It trumps everything else. There is no news better than this news. Well, why? Because you're going to marry your wife. And one of you will bury the other. This news that I have for you, it's better than anything else under the heavens. Because God is going and has dealt with the thing that you and I are afraid of. He says, I will conquer the grave. He says, it's a gospel issue. But what's the message? That Christ died for our sins. That's there, right there. It was not for his sins, but for ours. That Christ was buried. He was put in a tomb. His brain stopped functioning. Functioning. He breathed his last breath. He was raised on the 3rd day. He was raised. That that is a part of the gospel. And in my fear, I think when we think about the gospel, we stop. We stop with he came and he died for my sins. We stop there. We stop there. And Paul says, you got to follow through. You got to follow through. If you go back and look at Steph Curry's, he, does like, he has like this, these shooting tips And he talks about the importance of not just squaring your shoulders, the importance of not just looking your eyes, at, having your eyes locked on the goal, the importance of having your your elbow at a right angle. He says, most people forget to follow through. Here is what Paul is saying, Christian. Follow through with the gospel. Christ came. Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised from the dead. Why is that important? Because of verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and it is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When Christ gets out of the tomb, Christian, you come out with him, Christian. When Christ ascends to be with the Father, you are now seated with him in the heavenly places. And when Christ returns, if you happen to be in the ground Your body will be raised and your spirit, which will be with the Lord, will descend and they will join in the air and you will be made whole and glorified forever. I know that death feels like a period at the end of your life. And Jesus says, it's a comma. There is more after death because Christ has conquered death that is the hope of scripture death will not win be not afraid doubt what you see your savior has conquered let's pray Father, thank you for the hope of Scripture. I love the way that Paul gives us evidence beyond evidence. He just kind of keeps going on and on and on on why the resurrection is real and his final authority is your word. This is not just a New Testament idea The saints of old, even Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last day he will stand. Oh, my eyes cannot wait to behold him. Oh God, I pray that you will give us this boldness, give us this sense of peace, that this is ours. Paul says, you have believed this is by faith. If we would but believe Help us with this, we pray, for Christ's sake.